and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. This morning, famous missionary Hudson Taylor's life is overviewed to make the point that believers need an exchange of lives. That is, our lives for Christ's life. This is what will work. Again, our reference is Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Robert Elliott. If you're saved this morning, Jesus Christ is not just your Savior. He's not just your Lord. He is also your life. Because you've been crucified with him. Live like it. Believe it. Stop battling flesh with your flesh. This is Hudson Taylor's summary of his life. The most widely circulated book about Hudson Taylor, the pioneer missionary to inland China, is Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Hudson Taylor was born in Yorkshire, England in 1832, the son of a pharmacist and a lay Methodist preacher. Experiencing a dramatic conversion to Jesus Christ at the age of 17, Hudson soon became interested in becoming a missionary to the then almost closed country of China. He first went to China in 1854 with the China Evangelization Society, a short-lived mission group. While there, he married another missionary, Maria Dyer, although many fellow missionaries discouraged her from marrying him. Forced to return to England because of his health, he could find no missionary society to back him when China was open to Westerners. As a result, in 1865, he founded the Interdenominational China Inland Mission, now Overseas Missionary Fellowship. The following year, he sailed for China with his first brigade of missionaries. Supervising multiple mission stations throughout the expanse of China became a daunting and often frustrating task. In 1869, so he's 37 years old, Taylor sank into deep depression, even contemplating suicide. His inner conflict increased as the summer months passed. He prayed, made resolutions, fasted, read his Bible to no apparent avail. He prayed for faith, for holiness, for peace, but only felt more conflicted. In August, Hudson Taylor visited the mission station in Hangchow, where a volatile Irishman, John McCarthy, was in charge. Taylor shared his spiritual frustrations, which is always a good thing to do to be open and real with each other when the Christian life is not working for us, and not just to paint a smile on our face and say, I'm good. Taylor shared his personal spiritual frustrations, and McCarthy told of his own continual feelings of failure and unrest. He too desperately desired the satisfaction of an ongoing fellowship with God. Taylor left Hangchow and visited other mission stations on his way back to his own mission compound, all the while wrestling with his own spiritual despair. He arrived home in Qingkang on September 4th, 1869. After being greeted by his wife and children, he immediately hurried to his room to get caught up with his correspondence. 
One of the letters he opened and read was from John McCarthy and had been written a day or two after Taylor's visit. McCarthy wrote, quote, I seem as if the first glimmers of dawn of a glorious day have risen upon me. I seem to have supped only that which can fully satisfy, end of quote. As he read on, Hudson Taylor became convinced that McCarthy had discovered the secret for which they had been searching. Quote, to let my loving Savior work in me his will, abiding, not striving or struggling, looking on to him, trusting him for present power, resting in the love of an almighty Savior, in the joy of a complete salvation. End of quote. Taylor read the final paragraph, quote, not striving to have faith or to increase my faith, but looking at the faithful one seems all we need. Arresting in the loved one entirely for time, for eternity. It does not appear to me as anything new, only formerly misunderstood. End of quote. Hudson Taylor's long spiritual struggle was resolved in an instant. He later wrote, quote, As I read, I saw it all. I looked to Jesus, and when I saw, oh, how joy flowed. End of quote. A colleague of Hudson Taylor wrote about him after this secret was understood and lived, quote, He was a joyous man now, a bright, happy Christian. He had been a toiling, burdened one before, with latterly not much rest of the soul. It was resting in Jesus now and letting him do the work, which makes all the difference. Whenever he spoke at meetings after that, a new power seemed to flow from him, and in the practiced things of life, a new peace possessed him. Troubles did not worry him as before. He cast everything on God in a new way and gave more time to prayer. End of quote. Hudson Taylor had found his spiritual secret, and so can you. It's the exchanged life. Understanding we've been crucified with Christ. Now Christ is our life. The Holy Spirit is our gift. He will battle our flesh. He will bring to pass the work of God through us, and we can rest in that. Life was not easy for Hudson Taylor after he discovered his spiritual secret. He had a painful life, but he had the secret to cope with it. Hudson's first wife, Maria, died of cholera shortly after giving birth to her eighth child. Eventually, Hudson remarried a missionary colleague in China. Her name was Jenny. Jenny died as well at the age of 33. Serving the Lord Church is not always easy. Jenny's last dying words revealed that she, like her husband, understood that her flesh would fail her, but her Savior never would. Her final words, using her final breath, she whispered to her husband, Hudson, ask him to take me quickly. 
Five minutes later, Jenny's breath became quiet, and in a short time there was peace. Her very last words, after ask him to take me quickly, her very last words were, His grace is sufficient. He will not fail. His grace is sufficient, and he will not fail. Know with me what won't work. Flesh battling flesh. But know with me what will work. The Spirit of God battling flesh and bringing victory in our lives dependent upon him. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much for this insight into our humanity and this insight into our spirituality and how the two interface. Lord, we would love it if you would just eradicate our flesh when we get saved, but you choose not to. You must have reasons. Perhaps the reason is that we'll totally depend on you moment to moment to moment. Perhaps the reason you don't eradicate our flesh when we're saved is so that we will praise you for all of eternity for getting rid of it by the time we get to heaven. Perhaps you haven't eradicated our flesh yet, so we'll have compassion and mercy on others who are in the flesh, even as we can be in the flesh. Spirit of God, produce your fruit. Suppress the deeds of the flesh that we would show you off. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake alone. And God's children said, amen. To abuse God's grace is a serious thing. And one of the ways that we do abuse God's grace is to high-handedly sin, to uh, know that something is a sin, to like it enough to want to do it, even though you know it's a sin, with the thought process that, well, you know, I'll get forgiveness if I confess the sin after I've done it. And um, that is an abuse of God's grace. And and Romans 6, 1 and and following, teach that it is. Uh, Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? The verse is saying, you think you can high-handedly sin because God's grace will be bigger than your sin? How dare you think that way? Because you've died to sin. You've been crucified with Christ. The old you doesn't have to respond to the sin nature that you have. You have, you have the possibility and the potential of victory and uh, overcoming any temptation to sin. And for you to say, well, you know, gee, it's Friday. I think I'll do this or that because I really like to do that. I know it's sinful, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then Saturday night at bedtime, I'm going to tell God I was wrong and, and ask him to forgive me. That is abusing God's grace. And that is living in a way that, that God uh, will chasten you as a believer. He'll spank you. And, and you deserve that spanking if you just high-handedly sin. So none of us wants to uh, high-handedly sin because it's an abuse of God's grace. We don't want to abuse God's grace. One of the ways that we can do that, though, is to become legalists, to 
believe and to tell others that we have to add certain good works to what Jesus has done for us in order to be fully right with God. Um, that's an abuse of God's grace. The book of Galatians was written to readers that were abusing God's grace. They were saved by God's grace through Christ, and they knew it, and they were reverting back to Old Testament law, and they were basically telling uh, each other they had to keep certain dietary laws and the law of circumcision and other laws to be fully saved. And that's abuse. The theme verse of the book of Galatians is chapter 2, verse 16, which says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So we don't want to be abusing God's grace to think or to teach others that what Jesus did was nice and helpful, but it wasn't complete. And so if you really want to be in God's family, if you really want to be well-pleasing to God, you have to add to what Jesus did on the cross what you can do in your self-efforts to obey the law. That is an abuse of God's grace. Some favorite verses of mine are found in Psalm 51. Um, so many times in my life I have failed God. I have sinned. Sometimes I have sinned quite unexpectedly to me, and other times, ashamedly, I have sinned quite consciously, um, knowing I was sinning, but choosing sin for various reasons. And Psalm 51 is very precious to me because I am such a big sinner, and I have blown it so many ways in my life. And... Um, I'll just read portions of the psalm. This is David's prayer after being caught in the sin of adultery and murder. Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions. I'll just interject. God is, God is compassionate and loving, long-suffering, and he has the ability to blot out transgressions, to erase them out of the book. Verse 2, the prayer continues, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Let me interject. When you are a believer and you've sinned, your conscious, conscience is working. It's condemning you. It's a good thing when a conscience works because it tells you something's wrong. And I know in my own life that when I sinned and had not yet admitted it, um, my sin was ever before me. I couldn't walk away from it. I couldn't do anything to try to um, dull it. I couldn't hide it. I couldn't um, make myself happy around it. Um, and that's a good thing because it means your conscience is working and it means that God is lovingly telling you you've sinned and he wants to forgive you. Then verse 4, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. It's so important in my life, and it will be important in your life, that when you have sin, you recognize that all sin is against God. Some sin is against other people and God, but all sin is against God. And so when we come to grips with our sin, we, almost, we must always start with God. 
we must admit the offense against God. And then when an offense is also against another person, you have to go to that person and admit that you sinned against them as well. Carrying on with David's prayer, so that thou art justified when thou dost speak, and blameless when thou dost judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin, my mother conceived me. That does not mean that marital intimacy is sinful, not at all. God designed it for good and blessing. What it does mean, though, is that from the point of conception, he had a sin nature. He um, was born with a rebellious bent against God, and so all of us are. That's, that's the problem since Adam and Eve. And then, verse 7, he prays, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a certain plant, grew about waist high in Israel. Uh, they would break it off, dry it. It would have like a fanned head to it on a stem. And they would use the hyssop plant to dip into uh, blood prescribed by the Old Testament law. And the priest would shake, uh, splatter that blood on the altar in obedience to the law. And so the, the psalmist is saying, I want to be pure I want to be clean. Uh, and the, the great hope of this verse to me is that it is possible to be pure again after sinning as a believer. It is possible to be washed once we got ourselves dirty by sinning since we've been saved. And it's so wonderful that God's laundromat is a laundromat of supreme perfection. He, when he washes us clean as believers after we sin, it isn't a halfway job he does. You don't see any... Uh, evidence there ever was a spot of sin on the garment of our lives. He says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. That is such a precious reality. And then he says, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. That's figurative language. He's saying, when I, when I send, um, I felt like all my bones were at a joint. I was in pain because I was disobedient and I was going against my Savior. But he's saying, let me hear joy again and gladness. And, and that's such an encouragement that we can have joy. We can have gladness again as believers, even when we mess up and we sin. After we've confessed our sin, we can hear the joy of the Lord and experience his gladness again. And then... Um, Nine, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then ten, create in me a clean heart, O God. Uh, that verse has meant an awful lot to me over the years, that when I have created in myself an unclean heart as a believer, to know that God is able and willing to create in me a clean heart once again to have a clean slate, a fresh page, to, to not have to worry, did he really mean it? Did he really forgive me or is he holding a grudge? God, when he makes one clean, it's he, that person is clean. When God creates a clean heart in a person, it is a clean heart, a fresh start. And that's precious. Those are some of my favorite verses from Psalm 51. When I think of favorite Bible verses, I think of 
Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is a beautiful help to knowing the will of God. Psalm 37 verses 4 and 5 to be more specific. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. These verses are so helpful because basically it lays out for us what our responsibility is. And then it gives us what God has promised to do for us if we will live up to our end of the bargain in these specific responsibilities. So when I have not known what to do, have not really understood what the will of God is for me in a certain matter, I go back to Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. What that is saying is that if a believer will de- delight him or herself in the Lord, then God will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that God will, if you want a Lamborghini and pray for it hard enough, he'll put a Lamborghini in your driveway. What it does mean is if you make God your greatest good, if you will live in such a way that you make your purchasing decisions, your free time decisions, your thought life decisions, your use of time decisions based on God being your highest value. That's what it means to delight yourself in the Lord. Delighting yourself in the Lord is what you catch yourself thinking about when you're free to think about anything. You think about him and his word. When you uh, have free time to spend, you give thought to God and how you'll spend your free time. When you have excess money at your disposal, when you have some ways you could spend money that are discretionary. If you give thought to God in how you spend those discretionary dollars, then you know you're delighting yourself in the Lord. He's your highest good. He's your your most dear prize. When you live that way, think that way, spend that way, then he said, I will give you the desires of your heart. That means he will author in your heart the desires you should have. If you will delight yourself in the Lord, he said he will give you right in your heart, author within your heart, the desires of your heart. So when someone comes to me as a, as a believer, he says, Pastor, how do, I, wh- how do I know what to do, what God's will is? One of the things I say, are you delighting yourself in the Lord? And I exp- explain to them what that means. Yes, I am. I think I am. Then I say, do whatever you feel like doing. Do whatever you would like to do. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, then what you want to do, what you'd like to do, is what he's laid on your heart to like to do and want to do, and he's happy with it. Now, of course, he'll never write on your heart a desire that's contrary to his word. That's ridiculous. But if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, it says he will give you the desires of your heart. He will author those desires and then just follow them with joy. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. In other words, as you pursue those desires, do it for his glory all along the way. Trust also in him. 
be a person of faith who pursues those desires, and he'll do it. He'll bring it to pass. That works for who to marry. That works for um, where to serve in the church. That works. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When I think of a favorite Bible verse, I think of Romans 11, verse 36. For from him, that is God the Father, and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen means let it be so. This is a very encouraging verse to me because it says that God is the boss. God is the king. God is the ruler. God is what it's all about. And this verse is saying that everything that happens in my life is from him. It is through him. It is to him. And it's for his glory. So if I get rear-ended in traffic after I have the disappointment of seeing the damage and figuring out how to pay for getting it fixed, I can step back from that eventually and say, God was in this, and I can see reasons to thank him. I didn't get whiplash. I have car insurance, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think of Joseph who was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers and uh, had all kinds of problems in Egypt as a slave. He was accused of um, raping his boss's wife. He was uh, put in prison um, on, on those false charges. He was, um, ab- he was abandoned by his family. His brothers lied to his daddy to say he was dead. He was cut off from his family. And yet when eventually the, the famine came to the world and the, these mean brothers came to Egypt to get grain and they didn't recognize their brother who they betrayed with the passage of years. And he graciously gave them grain to sustain them in the famine. Uh, when they finally came to understand the person dealing with them was Joseph, the brother they had lied about and and sold uh, into slavery, he made a wonderful statement in Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. That is the truth of Romans 11:36, friends, which says, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember... Everyone needs a savior.